This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 399, submission number 316, Salvage 1. Salvage 1 aired on the ABC television network from January 20th to December 9th, 1979 for 20 episodes over two seasons four of which went unaired. So wait, are you telling me that the number of aired episodes of Salvage One is equal, equal to the number of episodes of Uncle Croc's Block and the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show and J.J. Starbuck? That's exactly what I'm telling you, Mike. Well, you said 20, though, so it's four more than all those. Yeah, well, yeah, but you only saw 16 unless you were living abroad and then you saw all 20. Don't know how. No, you just no, you, you saw all 20, but we'll get to the logistics of how that works. But how about we do a theme? Usually we tell you what the show's about, but this is one of those expository joints. Sort of. We'll get to it. Now the theme. Once upon a time, a junk man had a dream. spaceship go to the moon salvage all the junkets up there bring it back sell it so he put together a team an ex-astronaut a fuel expert they built a rocket ship and they went to the moon who knows what they'll do next Griffith. Tar Heel in the House, best known for his turn as sheriff and single father Andy Taylor on his namesake show, itself a spinoff of Make Room for Daddy, went from homespun rural hero to television legend in the course of seven seasons. And a television legend can go on to do almost anything he or she wanted. For example, previous entry Life with Lucy. To mount a comeback, Sheriff Andy mounted a rocket ship. What? Sheriff Andy mounted a rocket ship. Huh? Do you need to clean your ears? Andy Griffith mounted a rocket ship. That doesn't make sense. No, why would Andy Griffith be on a science fiction show? Remember the era. Think of all of the shows that we've talked about in the past 
that are science fiction based or space based in the era of like 1977 to 1980. Uh, we're talking Battlestar Galactica, Galactica 80. Uh, we talked about Jason of Star Command. I'm struggling to figure out why anybody would want to go into space specifically after May of 1977. Hey, 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 hey. Any more and we'll get sued. That's true. We would. Sorry, John Williams. What would Andy Griffith find in space? Garbage? And what would he do with the garbage? Bring it back to Earth where we really need more garbage? Why would we need more garbage on Earth? What's the logistics of going to the moon to get garbage? What are you going to do with this? Who wants moon junk? Hold on. Why couldn't they just throw the garbage into the sun? Well, now we could get into the uh, realities of that, the physics involved and the amount of time and the accuracy. And does the sun even really have a gravitational pull? It's a big ball of flaming gas. Interesting that you talk about reality, not just Who in the world would want to buy space junk? But I'm looking at this article from MeTV here. Andy Griffith, and this is from a 1979 interview with People Magazine. He says, it's difficult to catch lightning in a bottle twice, but I think we've done it. Now, Andy Griffith would catch lightning in a bottle twice. But he would have to wait another seven years. Here we are, 1979, and everybody had to go to space. So, writer Mike Lloyd Ross decided to team up with producers Harris Cattleman and legendary sci-fi scribe Harv Bennett to form, and I swear to God I am not making this up, the Jettison Scrap and Salvage Company. Jesus Christ. Owned and operated by down-on-his-luck junkman Harry Broderick. As a specialist in reclaiming trash and junk to sell his scrap, he figures he's collected every junk car he possibly could. What else is there to do? Not to uh, repeat that line from the theme song, but here it is again, in case you missed it the first time. I want to build a spaceship, go to the moon, salvage all the junk that's up there, bring it back, sell it. So basically, he wanted to be the space version of Fred Sanford? Yes! And yes, Greg, that is the correct reaction! What in God's name... How did this get greenlit? Harv Bennett! That's how it got greenlit. And also, it's 1979 and everybody wanted a Star War. And also, Andy Griffith. I get you got Andy Griffith and Harv Bennett, but it's like, you pitched this to me. I'm like, what? Forget how did this get greenlit. How did this get renewed? 
I'm sure we'll have an answer for that in due course, but yikes. <laughs> this show is just full of yikes. You cannot go to space all by yourself. You need a team with you. So, Harry recruits former astronaut Addison Skip Carmichael and NASA fuel expert and payload specialist Melanie Mel Flozer. Together, Skip and Mel assist Harry in building a spaceship, going to the moon, salvaging all the junk that's up there, bringing it back, and selling it. I feel like Gene Rayburn should be uh, here right now. Right. Forget for a moment that you need a lot of scrap in order to build a rocket ship. How in the name of sanity are you going to power the damn thing? Well, just so happens I have an answer, and it seems to me that this is the MacGuffin that is the answer to nine out of every ten problems that the team of the Vulture, that's the name of the ship, by the way, the Vulture. The show's name is Salvage One, but the ship's name is Vulture. Process that. Maybe a project name. Maybe a nickname. Because, you know, what are they doing? They're salvaging items. It might be the first salvage ship in space. I'm wondering, how do you get enough fuel to go into space, grab all your stuff, and come home before dinner? Well, nine out of every ten problems apparently on this show can be solved with one word. Monohydrazine. Monohydrazine is used to power the spaceship, not to be confused with hydroxazine, which is used to keep my neuroses in check. So let's talk about everybody who is involved with this project. We already talked about Andy Griffith. We already know he's looking to strike it big again. Now, did he have a variety show in the 70s? Like everybody else? Or no? I don't see that he did any sort of variety show in the 70s. Ah. Well, before we talk about Andy's team, I have to bring this up because I actually also did some research. Hydrazine is actually a real thing. Time for a Chico science moment. Hydrazine is an inorganic compound with the chemical formula N2H4, a simple nictogen hydride, and it's a colorless flammable liquid with an ammonia-like odor. Hydrazine is highly toxic unless handled in solution as, for example, hydrazine hydrate, mainly used as a foaming agent in preparing polymer foams, but applications also include its uses as a precursor to polymerization catalysts, pharmaceuticals, and agrochemicals, as well as long-term storable propellant for in-space spacecraft propulsion. So what does that all mean? You put enough of it in a rocket and you break the surly bonds of Earth and punch the face of God. Maybe. Well, we'll we'll get to the maybe in a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of maybe bordering on possibly because one of the science advisors on this show is Isaac Asimov. Well, I wasn't even saying it for that reason because 
I saw a number of episodes and I, I noticed a pattern in those episodes and we'll get to it in due time. So we talked about Andy Griffith. Let's talk about Addison Skip Carmichael. I don't know if I want to call him a clumsy genius or just simple, but he is played by Joel Higgins, who we all remember best as Little Ricky's daddy on Silver Spoons. Here we are, face to face, couple of silver spoons. Hoping to find... We're, yeah. We're two of okay. Hey, Greg, you want to chime in? Together, <laughs> we're going to find a way. Okay, okay, that, okay. The people can't. The people aren't ready, Greg. They are not ready. That'll be on our release. Now, that's why I call a thing on TV Volume 6. Fun fact, Joel Higgins would boo up with someone else who's also been in space, Aaron Gray of Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah, baby, Aaron Gray. Oh, my gosh, Greg took my line word for word. I was going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Aaron Gray. Oh, yeah, Aaron Gray. I was hoping he'd do it like Macho Man style. Oh, I thought you were going to do the G-Man there. Oh, yeah. I can't do a G-Man. Uh, I want, hey, I wonder if he'll show up for the 400th. I wonder if he's going to do that. I don't know. As payload specialist and fuel expert Melanie Mel Slozer, we have Trish Stewart, known for an extensive career involving CBS daytime shows, both The Young and the Restless and Match Game, and also for Chips and the Streets of San Francisco. So she's basically trading in the streets for the skies. She's a space cowboy. And then we have, as an assorted character, Mac, J.J. Saunders, who played one of the moving men in Beetlejuice, and George Middleton on four episodes of Dallas in 1989. Uh, We've talked about him in the past. We have. Okay, where did we talk about him in the past? He played the judge on Mac and Me, didn't he? No, uh, did he? That wasn't where I was going, but now, you see, Chico, you know how I walked into the trap last week? Yeah. Guess what you just did? Oh, dear. Roll it! It's a trap! Okay, now that we got our obligatory Mac and Me clip out of the way, the right answer I was looking for is from a show proper that we covered, and we covered it not that long ago. He was on a home run for love. Yes. That was April, March, beginning of the baseball season. For Jackie Robinson Day, yeah. And rounding out the cast as the snooping federale who's wondering why Harry needs all of that unobtainium. Jack Klinger, Richard Jekyll. And if we listed every future entry that he had a hand in, we would be here all day. So Hold, hold on. Was he on Spencer for Hire? 
I believe he was on Spencer for hire, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he was. Yes. He was Lieutenant Martin Quirk. Spencer for Hire's theme song, underrated. Very much so. Oh, that sexy sax in the theme. And we may have talked about him in the past because he was on an episode of Carter Country, but also he was on an episode of a show that we talked about a lot recently for obvious reasons, Black Sheep Squadron. So now we go into space. We've gotten all the junk off the moon. What do we do with it? Funny thing is I've saw a number of the episodes and A, none of the episodes had anything to do with getting junk off the moon. But also B, they never went to the moon, at least on the episodes I saw. I will see if they go to the moon when we go through the episodes, but I saw nothing in terms of them going to the moon on uh, any of the first number of episodes that I saw. So that's why I said this might be a little bit like false advertising from that theme song. Our job was to go to the moon to get space junk. They didn't even do that from what I saw outside of the opening credits. You're a phony. Hey, this guy's a great big phony. Remember, the first episode of Salvage One was not the first episode. Well, I get that, but I'm talking about the first couple episodes proper. But hey, since we're talking about that first episode per se, how about we just jump into it? The movie is called Just Salvage. A salvage company sees a prospect of recovering abandoned items in space. They build a makeshift rocket and launch it amongst resistance from the government. So again, it's basically your exposition as if you didn't get enough exposition from the opening theme. Can we briefly touch on the ship itself? The main body is composed of a Texaco gasoline semi-trailer tank truck with a cement mixer as the capsule. Augmented with three shorter rocket boosters placed 120 degrees around the main tank. That isn't even the main part of uh, Salvage 1 that I want to focus on. Because if you guys saw this, did you see how this thing runs? What it runs on? In terms of mechanically, not in terms of fuel. It has a stick shift from like a 70s station wagon. You actually see it says park, reverse, whatnot. How the heck does a rocket go in reverse? Do its boosters turn 180 degrees? That makes no sense. This isn't Thunderbird 3 we're talking about here, Mike. but, But the thing is, still, you know, really, if I put this in drive, it's going to blast off? It's ridiculous. I I get it's salvage, but it's like you have a freaking stick shift from a 70s station wagon. The only thing that's missing is like the fake wood handle on the uh, gear shift or on the uh, stick. I don't mean it's a stick shift. It is like a manual transmission. You guys know how to drive, I hope. Now, Mike, you made a great comparison to salvage one to something. Yes, and I really think this is absolutely true. Salvage One is the 1979 version of the Ocean Gate Titan that we lost like six weeks ago. And it is. The pieces and parts, 
going as cheap as possible. The parallels are there. So would this be powered by an Atari 2600 joystick? Like a crappy aftermarket controller? Uh, well, well, crappy aftermarket controller in 1979 would probably be like a Pong paddle. Because Atari 2600 would have been current in 1979, and also so would the uh, Odyssey 2. So it's got to be one of those dial type of joysticks for Pong or uh, whatever the Odyssey 1 ran on. I was just about to bring up the Odyssey 2. That would have been like the time for the Odyssey 2. I mean, it came out in 1978. It was the first video game console worth owning. No, the Atari 2600 was the first console worth owning. Look, the Odyssey 2 had Casey Munchkin. Case closed. Greg Lakes is Casey Munchkin. So they're back on Earth. They got all the crap off of the moon. Do they sell it? Do they keep it? Do they make improvements on the rocket? I don't know. Is this a Torchwood situation that we're looking at? Greg knows what I'm talking about. Let's find out, shall we? First episode, Dark Island. The Salvage One crew become stranded on a remote island off the coast of Africa and are menaced by a gigantic ape. You don't look like you went to space in this episode to me. That's one. Just saying, well, well, keep track. How many times did they go to space? How many times did they not? Going to some uh, island off the coast of Africa is not going to look for space junk. No, because they're looking for a gorilla. Oh, jeez, really? They actually did find a gorilla uh, or a couple of gorillas, but the main thing that they found was a Sasquatch-looking creature, including this giant ape. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's an ape. Yeah, maybe it is. But it looked more like a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch to me. It was some sort of hairy hominid. We actually have a name that we discussed in this episode. Henry Jones plays a man by the name of John Goodwin. Last time we talked about him was in I Married Dora. Episode 2. Shangri-La Lil. While searching for the B-25 bomber he flew on Doolittle's raid on Tokyo, Harry discovers an old Japanese soldier who is still fighting World War II. It's two episodes. We haven't gone to the moon yet. Couple of known names playing Toshiro, said soldier, Mako. You would best remember him as the voice of Aku on Samurai Jack, among other roles. He also played the wizard and the narrator in Conan the Barbarian. And, relative to what's out on theaters right now, he was the voice of Splinter in the 2007 TMNT movie. That's right. And, Mike, do you want to know who played Casey Jones in the 2007 TMNT CG movie? Since I didn't even know there was a TMNT movie in 2007, I think you need to tell me. America's ass himself, Chris Evans, voice Casey Jones. America's second ass. We know the original ass was Tom Villard, and he wouldn't have been alive in 2007. And playing a newscaster this episode, a man by the name of Larry Carroll, who has played a newscaster in Beverly Hills Cop 2, 2010, the year we make contact, 
Volcano, Rocky, previous entry Greg the Bunny, and two episodes of Sister Sister. And Diagnosis Murder. And Murder, she wrote. I'm just going to bypass it right now. Typecasting. No questions. I mean, seriously, I'm looking at everything he did. It was as a newscaster or a reporter, just about. I see a radio announcer, but just going all the way back, sportscaster. Oh, he was a helicopter pilot in an episode of McLeod. So there you go. Out of everything, he was a newscaster, sportscaster, reporter type in just about everything. Oh, including an episode of Cannon before William Conrad was in Fat Man 66. There's actually a really good reason for that, Mike. He was a news anchor for KCBS. He looks like it. I mean, he looks like a news anchor, so makes sense. I want to clear up something because uh, this episode, I saw this one too. This one, this one was weird uh, and also a little stereotypical. Uh, a lot of stereotyping of Japanese people and uh, culture and stuff like that. So they flew to... They said Tokyo, but I noticed on the helicopter, they took a helicopter to, I'm going to guess, Rangoon, Burma. And that's where uh, this plane was. Or, or I don't know uh, why it was Rangoon Tours or Rangoon Rentals, but it says it was in Japan. So whatever. Somehow you took a helicopter from Rangoon to Tokyo, which is like like 1,200 miles. I don't know. I'm not going to question that. But a couple things I noticed. So after the helicopter dropped off our three main characters uh, to look for this uh, bomber, the helicopter pilot, he was looking around and saw the plane, this missing Japanese bomber from World War II that we're talking about, which is actually, again, the uh, title name, the Shangri-La Lil. He saw the turret moving, and once he saw that turret rotating, he left them as fast as he could. He said, screw you guys, I'm going home. What a D-move. But also, I don't know how this can happen to a person, especially given seasons and especially given you know, all the things that go on in life. The Japanese spider that we're talking about, he thought it was 1963. Not 1979. How do you lose 16 years in whatever that would be? That would be 35 years, 34 years after the end of World War II. So basically two years was one in his world. Wouldn't you see winter once a year, not twice a year? Again, maybe some logistics issues here, some realism issues. I'm guessing post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that's actually one of the things that they brought up in the episode, believe it or not. Another name in this episode, and this the last one before we move on, playing Tuan. Making a strong Hall of Fame case, George Ki Chung. Let's see if I remember all of this stuff that we covered him in. Saved by the Bell of the College Years, Blind Justice, and just for uh, Greg's edification, he was Korean Elvis on How I Met Your Mother. And he was on an episode of Manimal. Episode 3, Shelter 5, 
When an earthquake traps a small girl in a bomb shelter, the Salvage One team tries to rescue her brother after shocks collapse the remaining structure. This would be one of those instances where it would help to have some of that space junk jerry-rig some sort of makeshift bulldozer and, you know, get everybody out before the whole thing collapses. Hey, do they go to the moon here? No. Moon trips zero, elsewhere three. And playing the little girl, lady by the name of Susan Burke, Michelle Stacy, whose best known work is the voice of Penny in The Rescuers. Oh yeah, she was also the young girl with coffee in Airplane. Oh, so she's the one who has that famous line. She likes her coffee well. You know. Right, Mike? Episode 4. The Haunting of Manderley Mansion. The Salvage One team befriends an alien creature from Andromeda who has crashed onto Earth and assumed Harry's shape. The alien needs Harry's rocket to escape Earth's gravity and resume his journey home. Did they go to space? No. So we're at 4 trips to places beside the moon for junk and zero actual trips for junk just saying what's the purpose if you're saying uh, this is a a salvaged uh, vessel to go to the moon to get junk when you don't even go there i'm not going to keep the count up but just saying this has like very let's say tenuous connections to outer space close encounters man well, in this episode, I absolutely, that's the vibes I'm getting from this episode. But I'm, again, just talking about as a whole, if you're not doing, you know, what you sort of like promoted in the opening of the episode, you know, people are going to turn off. And actually, I think the question we asked earlier, how did this get to season two? We'll talk about that later. But, you know, how does this make a season two when basically... I don't want to say that it was a uh, a bait and switch type of situation, but you sort of offered a certain bill of goods and you sort of went back on that. In one of three appearances for the entire series as Sam Bishop, we have Bert Freed, whose best known role was 1956's Invaders from Mars. He played the police chief. Episode 5, The Bugatti Treasure. The Salvage One team finds a 16th century map that supposedly points to the location of Cortez's treasure in the Mojave Desert. We have five episodes, zero trips to space, one close encounter, and zero Bugattis. Hey, if they knew how much a Bugatti would cost in 2023, they'd find that thing. Episode 6, Golden Orbit, Part 1. Harry plans a return to space to salvage a communications satellite, Telecom, that is loaded with gold. While Klinger impounds the vulture, Skip, rehired by NASA, is trapped aboard a malfunctioning space station. Okay, you went to space this time at least. Didn't get any sort of moon junk, but at least he got outside of the Earth's atmosphere. 
few names in this episode playing Dr. Singleton. We talked about him last week. Barry Nelson. I believe this is the fifth time we've talked about him. So he's primed for possible election to our little Hall of Fame. Playing Vanessa Ashley, somebody who would go to St. Elsewhere in a few years. Ellen Bree. And was on several weeks of the match game Hollywood Squares Hour. And playing Buck Fulton, Edward Winter, Project UFO, the MASH movie. Oh, the MASH series too for seven episodes. And Mr. Crawford in 13 episodes of Herman's Head. And this is the second time we're mentioning this this episode. He played Mr. Burke in Saved by the Bell, the college years. His wife was played by Gloria Loring, Robin Thicke's mama. Alan is not here, so I checked over the corner. And somebody else we talked about last week, playing Eddie, Bubba himself, Michael T. Williamson. This is part one of a two-part adventure. So what happens in part two? The cooling system aboard the Alpha Space Station has failed due to a malfunctioning valve, and the temperature inside the capsule is dropping dangerously. At Houston, Dr. Singleton has called a meeting of department heads and experts, and there's no other solution but to send another rocket, which will take at best two days to be ready for launch. On Station Alpha, Skip, crewmate Vanessa Ashley, and Commander Buck Fulton are aware that the battery packs providing the power to heat their spacesuits will last only hours. Harry and Mel, having seen the news report of the event, volunteer their services to attempt a rescue mission. With little hesitancy, Singleton agrees, sends battery packs and a replacement valve, along with Jim Webster, the original member of the crew that Skip replaced in order to be included, who will replace the valve. The trio, amidst warnings from Klinger to stay away from the satellite, set off to save the Alpha crew. See? They're in space now. But they're not getting space junk or moon junk. What do you want from me, huh? Not from you, from them. You know, again, you promised a, a certain bill of sale and you totally went against it. Can we file a class action lawsuit against the estate of Art Bennett for false advertising? Let me make a quick call to Tim Misney. I'll listen and then I'll make them pay. Episode 8, Operation Breakout. Klinger, while on assignment out of the country, is taken captive by an African dictator who is asking the U.S. for arms, but they refuse to comply despite knowing that the dictator will execute Klinger because the United States does not negotiate with terrorists. So Harry offers to sell him a weapon himself so that he could be allowed into the country so that he could rescue Klinger. But Harry's plan... Don't go as he planned it. Playing said leader, Yafert Baratu, Moses Gunn, who was in Shaft in 1971, Rollerball in 1975, and 10 episodes of A Man Called Hawk. Oh, the Spencer for Hire spinoff with Avery Brooks. Spencer! Spencer! And 34 episodes of Father Murphy. So he got to work with Merlin Olson. Or man, 
Merlin Olsen. Episode 9, Myrmidon. Harry befriends a mobile robot who, unknown to the Salvage One team, has run away from a secret army base and is programmed to kill anyone who poses a threat. So this is basically the plot of the Zeta Project 30 years early. In this episode, somebody we talked about before, Julianne Haddock from season one of The Facts of Life. And another person we mentioned last week, making the real low-key Hall of Fame case, as General Macklin, Ed Nelson. I think this is at least the fourth, if not the fifth thing we've talked about him on. Episode 10, Up, Up, and Away. Harry survives a plane crash in a remote canyon, but must face crooks determined to retrieve counterfeit currency from the wreck. Episode 11, Energy Solution, because it's the late 70s, you see. Melanie's plan to develop a method to create crude oil literally backfires, resulting in a raging underground inferno. One thing I should add regarding Mm -hmm. this didn't see this episode, but I'm going to f- call back to uh, one of the earlier episodes. I think it was uh, the uh, second episode uh, where they went to the Japanese island. The person who was still stuck in World War II actually questioned, how does a woman get a degree in physics or science? Seems a little sexist to me. In this episode, we have playing Dawson. Peter Donut, best known for six episodes as William Mulder on the X-Files. So Fox's dad? Mm Mm-hmm. He was also on nine episodes of Time Tracks as Mordecai Zombie, one of the uh, crims that Darian has to zap back into the future. Playing Crandall, Stanley Brock. Uncle Harvey. Oh, Uncle Harvey, yeah. We talked about him at least twice before. He oh, was yeah. In What's Alan watching? He was in something else, I remember that. What a country. Oh, what a country, yeah. With the best rendition of a theme song sung by Greg. Oh, yeah. I want to be an American. Do, 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 do. And WizKids. Oh, yeah, WizKids. And 10-Speed and Brown Shoe. And E slash R. So that makes five. Again, low-key Hall of Fame case coming up. And Fish. So that's six. And Holmes and Yo-Yo. That's seven. He's it. Episode 12. Confederate Gold. Oh, boy. Jack. No, no, no. no. This is not going to end well. No. No. You know what? I'm just going to describe the episode and we're going to move on. While trying to locate gold from the Confederate States of America, the Salvage One team is captured by greedy townspeople and forced to work for the locals. I'll give you a name, though, just because we need to take something out of this episode that isn't, like, offensive or stereotypical or anything like that. Playing Billy Wakefield in this episode is Dirk Blocker. A, the son of Bonanza legend Dan Blocker, but also B, he was on, I think the entire run, 
he was Hitchcock on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And he was a regular on, and again, how many times have we mentioned this show in like the last two months? Black Sheep Squadron. And he was young at that point on Black Sheep Squadron. He was like 20. He was a kid. All right. Now that's season one. Let's go to season two. Episode one of season two. Hard Water, part one. John Cameron, mayor of Santa Lea, an island about 18 miles off the coast of California, televises a plea for a dependable source of drinking water. He's offering $50,000 cash money to research and develop a system that will result in a solution to the island's water shortage. To this end, he holds a meeting inviting all engineers and technologists with potential solutions. Enter the crew, who offer a plan to bring an immense iceberg to provide the needed water a concept that they have been dabbling with for some time. Harry no sooner makes his presentation than a competitor, Sam Bishop of Fine Arts Salvage, this guy again, makes a similar proposal except they don't need the subsidy up front and are willing to carry out the required testing at their own expense. After a short deliberation, it's decided that Jenison Salvage will get the subsidy while Fine Arts can continue experimenting at their own cost. However, in exactly three weeks, both companies want the opportunity to submit bids for the actual working delivery. Leaving the meeting, Harry confronts Bishop because he knows absolutely nothing about the capture and usage of icebergs. In the meantime, Mel meets Michelle, an orphan who happens to be a dedicated fan, and a close friendship evolves. So we have a new cast member in Michelle Ryan, played by Heather McAdam, who is best known for 90 episodes of Sisters as Kat Margolis. And somebody that we may talk about in the future, playing a man by the name of Cress, Philip Charles McKenzie. Best known for roles in Brothers, all of Brothers, and all of Open House, and three episodes, we talked about them before, of Going Places! That's right. Going Places. Isn't that great, Mike? Yeah, you agree. That's great. (laughs) Uh, I had the Yankees thumbs down guy here for those who obviously can't see it. So Greg's a liar. It's You're entitled to your wrong opinion, Mike. I'm not of that age that you and Chico were when going places was a thing, so maybe that's why it just doesn't resonate with me. How are Harry and the crew going to figure this one out? Episode 2, Hard Water Part 2. Harry and the Salvage One team try to direct the iceberg out of the shipping lanes, but the U.S. Navy is determined to blast the berg into ice cubes. So, it begins with Sam Bishop stealing the Jettison salvage research by placing a bug on Mac and winning the contract to supply the iceberg to Santa Leah. Bishop's team manages to cut off an immense iceberg and get it towed. However, after the huge tugboat that he hired was unable to control it, it was abandoned more than 500 miles from its destination. Harry and the crew have been alerted by young Michelle, whose research had revealed the existence of the Sarajevo Current, a deep and powerful current flowing some 80 feet below the surface. 
Deus Ex Machina at work. Due to its death, few people know of its presence, including Bishop and the tugboat captain. The iceberg, with more than 100 feet of mass below the surface, was an easy catch for the current, and now it's legal salvage. The Jettison crew had already devised a plan to break the iceberg free using engines from the Vulture. Now they have to put their plan into action with the cooperation of the Navy, who remain in position, if needed, to destroy the iceberg before it enters the main shipping lanes, which should take uh, four days, give or take. Episode 3, Roundup. Harry learns that some wild horses are about to be slaughtered because the local ranchers are upset that they are trampling on what could be grazing land for their cattle. Harry tries to save the horses before the ranchers go after the horses. A police department is going to take them for their mounted unit, but only if they can break them. So Skip thinks he can do it, but they have to start with the leader who is very wild. One thing we should note about this episode, this episode and everything after this did not originally air. The second season was literally that two-part episode Hardwater that we just talked about. One of the writers of this episode, Mike, noted Star Trek scribe Jerry Taylor. I'm not a Star Trek fan. I don't care. I'm just saying it comes with a pedigree. Episode four, Harry's Doll. Melanie hires a scientist to save Michelle's injured horse from blindness with laser surgery. So they give the horse the 1979-1980 equivalent of LASIK. Basically, yes. No animals were harmed at all. Yeah, but the horse can now see 2020, so everything went fine. Okay, we have a name in this episode. Playing Dr. Mott is Alan Arbus. And he was in all 13 episodes of the Gangster Chronicles, 13 episodes of The Four Seasons, and a pivotal 2000 episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Sadly, no longer with us. He died in 2013. Episode 5, Dry Spell. Harry and the Salvage One team are hired to bring rain to a drought-stricken farming community. Didn't we go over this with the iceberg? I want to say we went over this with the iceberg. No, you said that they were trying to shoot it up or whatever and turn it into a big pile of ice cubes. Oh, Okay, so this is a different water crisis. Okay. And the last episode, Diamond Volcano. Harry treats the gang to a trip to Hawaii where they find he has other motives. He has arranged for a mining operation into the side of an extinct volcano to retrieve diamonds formed by extreme geologic forces long ago. At least two big names in this episode, playing Carl Miller, somebody we've talked about a number of times, mostly in tangents on this podcast, William Bogert. Oh yes, the dad from War Games. And Mr. Brindle from Small Wonder, and also the correspondence on that one sketch from Chappelle's show. Yes. And playing a reporter by the name of Mike Flannery... Ron Rifkin, best known for his work, if I'm not mistaken, on the original One Day at a Time. Uh, I would say he's better known for his work on Alias, but yeah, he did uh, 19 episodes of One Day at a Time, so that looks like it was from the 80-81 season. And 
all 110 episodes of Brothers and Sisters. The 2000s Brothers and Sisters. Yeah, the one that actually, you know, lasted. The one with Rob Lowe. All right, so that's the show. And I gotta ask, what happened? It got greenlit. <laughs> That's a valid answer, I think. Again, they're selling you on the concept that they go to the moon and outer space and get junk, and they never did that. At least outside of the pilot episode or the TV movie, they didn't go to space. So I guess it just got green lit because, again, we said 1978, 1979 was a big time for science fiction shows. And the thing of it is, the original movie that this show is based on didn't do too bad on the ratings, I don't think. Uh, did you see the competition it was up against? The original movie? No. So this originally aired on Saturday, January 20th of 1979. It aired between 9 and 11 p.m. And the CBS competition wasn't too bad. It was going up against a movie. I don't even know what the heck this is. WW and the Dixie Dance Kings. But on NBC, and this is why I sort of question the ratings. This went up against Super Bowl Saturday night. So obviously this was the Saturday before the Super Bowl. So this would be the Pittsburgh-Dallas Super Bowl in 79. I was going to say, how many times did Pittsburgh and Dallas play each other in the Super Bowl? At least twice. Like, I'll say at least twice. So this would have been Super Bowl... 13. 14? 13. 13. So this, and as we mentioned this in episode 87, the college comedies of 1979, this was the Super Bowl where Jackie Smith dropped that pass. Oh, bless his heart. He's got to be the sickest man in America. So Salvage One only aired as this movie on Saturday nights. Then the following week, nine days later, it moved to Monday nights. On Mondays, and this is from January 29th, on NBC, there was a special, I don't know what this is, books. Stairs at the White House? I think that's what it says. Bookstairs. I can't read the text on my schedule here. doesn't make a difference. It was not a normal show. The normal shows were over at CBS. And uh, sorry, you're not beating like the seventh season of MASH and the second season of WKRP. You know what else was on that time slot later on down the line? Little House on the Prairie. Ooh. Out of 114 shows between 1978 and 1979, it placed 48th, which was enough to be renewed on ABC. It was just south of shows like The White Shadow, Hawaii Five-O, The Incredible Hulk, and How the West Was Won, and it did better than the Jeffersons, Quincy Emmy, Family, and the Wonderful World of Disney. Well, also, we didn't even get to another schedule change, because later in 1979, in the 78-79 season, 
it moved from Mondays to Sundays. And <laughs> it it's not looking good. Let's say that. On NBC, for the couple of weeks that I'm looking at here, uh, at 8 o'clock on NBC, it tended to go up against a movie. Uh, and actually, looking at August 5th, it went up uh, against Rescue from Gilligan's Island. I don't know what type of ratings that would have garnered. But on CBS, 8 to 9 p.m. on Sundays, the last season of All in the Family, and what would have been the third season? of one day at a time because remember cbs back in the day sunday night was all their big comedies all in the family one day at a time alice the jeffersons for the second season for those two episodes we talked about earlier the hard water part one part two it aired from 7 to 8 p.m on sundays even in 1979 sundays at seven was a death slot i'm sorry because we know what aired on CBS at that point. And you probably could have taken a guess at what aired on NBC at that point. CBS, obviously, 60 Minutes. And NBC was Disney's Wonderful World. Plus also, let's remember, if NFL ran over at any point, the 4 o'clock games. Yeah, there goes your viewership on ABC because people are watching the last quarter of the uh 4 p.m. Eastern NFL games because this was November, so NFL would have been happening. Yeah, and this was actually a replacement for, if I'm not mistaken, something that was at least one of the, if not the first cancellation of the season. Because I'm looking at the two shows that ABC originally had on Sunday nights at 7. Neither of them lasted to November. Yeah, they did. Oh, I'm taking a look at both of their IMDb pages. One lasted to January of 1980. The other lasted to December of 79. The two shows we're talking about, the one that lasted uh, until uh, December of 79 was Out of the Blue. And the one that lasted until January of 1980 is A New Kind of Family. They just didn't last at 7 p.m. on Sundays because, again... What's happening on Sundays uh, at 7 to 8 o'clock? Especially in early fall of uh, 79. Again, Disney on NBC, 60 Minutes on CBS, and football running over. Savage One was available for a time on the major streamers from Crackle to Apple TV. But per the extent of our research... It's since been taken off said streamers. I'm going to take it a step further, and this is going to be absolutely bizarre. This past Saturday, so six days ago as of the time we're recording, this was on Crackle. That's how I saw the episodes that I saw. So this literally just probably got removed 1st of August. Now, a few episodes were re-edited into movies, notably the two two-parters. They were re-edited into a single movie each and made available on DVD. The rest of the series is available to stream right now on YouTube unofficially. Including some of those unaired episodes. Because remember, for the second season, we only got the first uh, two-parter, so... Uh, taking a look, I do see 
uh, in a quick glance here, looks like the last uh, episode and the third to last episode. So what do you want to say about this show? It was about junk, supposedly, but it was junk. And for that reason, it's a thing on TV. I think we can sum it up that way. And and I think that's a great way to end this episode. Wow. We're here for episode 400. We're going to mix things up a little bit because this is a landmark occasion. So we're going to do essentially the end at the beginning. We're going to do our Joey Gallo update first. It's the Joey Gallo update. Joey Gallo, I mentioned last week, he's a piece of crap. I'm sorry. He has been below 200 for, gosh, I think most of the season at this point. And uh, it's continued. He was at 179 last week. He's getting less at bats. He uh, had uh, three at bats on Wednesday. Uh, no official at bats yesterday, Thursday the 3rd. And two official at bats on Tuesday, and one at bat on Sunday. So he obviously apparently came in on a pinch hit roll, and he had one hit, and that was on Wednesday. So his average uh, was is at 179, and tonight, so far, he has one at bat. He didn't get a hit there. His average has dipped to 178, and I really think Joey Gallo is not going to last very long. I mentioned last week because his uh, average is so bad, but also something I just looked at, and this is horrible. I mean, I, I don't know what the highest strikeout rates in baseball history have been over the course of a season. I know, like, Bobby Bonds, I think, was like the strikeout leader, swing strikeouts, I mean, batting strikeouts, not pitching strikeouts, in a season with, like, 200 but that may have been over the course of like 600 plate appearances or so. This is horrible. Joey Gallo has 236 official at-bats so far this season. He has had 117 strikeouts. He is almost striking out 50% of the time. How does this man have a job? Trey Mancini starting to look really good right about now. Uh, Trey Mancini got DFA'd. He got designated for assignment earlier this week. You chose poorly. Well, also, let's be nice to Trey Mancini. He's a cancer survivor. He's a real inspiration to a lot of people. So take it easy on the guy. I love Trey Mancini. Cannot say the same for Joey Gallo, though. Why are you on this podcast if you don't like Joey Gallo? You think about that. Let's open up episode 400. Episode 400, submission 886. Tequila and Benetti. Tequila and Benetti aired on CBS from January 17th to April 17th of 1992. For 12 episodes, 10 aired, 2 unaired. Although Wikipedia says to April 17th, but the 10th aired episode, it says on Wiki, aired on April 18th. So who knows? And for those that care, 
Those 12 episodes are four less than Uncle Crocs Block, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, JJ Starbuck, and the number of aired episodes of Salvage One. There you go. We're just going to make this as long as we can when we compare the number of episodes. So you might be here eventually for like five minutes of me going through all the shows that had 16 episodes. But I don't want to steal the thunder. Let's play some theme music. Close your eyes, boys. Think back to 1989. A small movie aired in the theaters starring Tom Hanks and a French Mastiff. Hold on. You're telling me the guy from Bosom Buddies was in a movie with a dog? And that movie turned a surprisingly big profit at the box office. That got Hollywood thinking. TV spinoff? Now, the TV spinoff would eventually happen. And we will eventually cover it. And also, maybe one day the Disney Plus version of that movie. I was referring to the Disney Plus version of that movie. Wasn't there a TV show also from like the 90s? There was a, there was a TV movie. I don't know if it was a TV movie or a made-for-video sequel. Okay, well. But we gotta it, talk about Josh and that, I guess, one day. Oh, by the way, did you know he's in Oppenheimer? Yes. Josh Peck is in Oppenheimer. Who would have thought one day he'd be in a Christopher Nolan movie? What's Drake Bell doing? We don't talk about what Drake Bell's doing. No, for good reason. You know, Josh Peck was also in How I Met Your Father. Of course he's in How I Met Your Father. He's great on How I Met Your Father. Great in How I Met Your Father. Everybody on that show's great. Right now, we're not going to talk about Turner and Hooch. We'll have to settle as CBS did in 1992 for something similar to, but legally distinct from Turner and Hooch. Sort of a Turner and Hooch meets Look Who's Talking? What? Oh, this can't end well. No! Uh, Guys, 
Do you realize this came from Donald Belisario? From Lee Donald Belisario? Yeah, Magnum PI Donald Belisario. CIS Donald Belisario? Yes. You're talking about the Donald Belisario that wrote on Black Sheep Squadron? I'll take that as a yes. So Donald Belisario did this. Okay. Well, he had to do something that wasn't Quantum Leap at this time. Fair enough. We've seen Stephen J. Cannell have many different irons in the fire, as it were. He didn't just limit himself to the, as Chico said last week, he's a blank, she's a blank type of cop show. But we're falling into that trap this week too, Mike. You'll find out in a moment. Because this show pairs a rough, rugged, and ready policeman from New York City with a proud Italian heritage. He's so proud. He's like, hey, I'm an Italian cop. Hey, I'm from New York City. I'm gonna get some pizza after I'm done solving a crime. Hey. He actually audibly speaks Italian in some scenes of this show. So he's got a proud Italian heritage, a rose-colored Cadillac convertible that he inherited from his father, and he ends up doing something terrible. So the story is he shoots a girl who gets caught in gunfire as a means of starting over or just, you know, getting reassigned. He relocates to a beachfront Los Angeles precinct on temporary assignment, where he is paired with a widow of a policeman and a large burrito-eating French mastiff, who apparently is smarter than he is. So, yes, he's a New York City cop. She's a Los Angeles cop. That's a dog. They fight crime. Playing Nick Benetti, Nico Nick Benetti, noted legendary actor Jack Scalia. You know what? If we were to to explain everything he's been in... Oh, we'd be here all night. Oh, yeah. So we're just going to say... He's legendary. Oh, but his partner, his female partner is legendary too. Oh, yes. Officer Angela Garcia, played by the brilliant, the beautiful, the talented Mariska Hargitay. Oh, yeah. Olivia Benson herself. Mm -hmm. Fun fact was almost the role of Dulcia in 1995's Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Wow. But I don't know if it was injury or pregnancy, but she had to step back from the role that ultimately went to Gabrielle Fitzpatrick. So, Mariska Hargitay went on to star as Olivia Benson on one of the biggest shows on television right now. Lord knows what Gabrielle Fitzpatrick is doing. 
playing the role of the voice of tequila. That's right. The dog has a voice. Brad Sanders. Now, he plays Gerald in one episode of the current version of The Wonder Years. He was in Scream the TV series. Oh, Jesus. What? (laughs) We talked about him before. We did? He was in Legends of the Superheroes. Oh, that's terrific. Who would he play in Legends of the Superheroes? I want to preface this by saying this is his character name. This isn't me talking. This is the writer of Legends of the Superheroes talking. He played Ghetto Man. Oh my, this didn't age well. Not even remotely. Speaking of things that didn't age well, playing the captain, Captain Midland Knight, who Benetti, Garcia, and Tequila all answer to Charles Rocket. Was there an episode where we asked all of them to find out who the F did it? Refer back to the episode where we talked about the sixth season of SNL, the Gene Domanian era. Yeah, that's how he got fired. And basically everybody on the show that season got fired. Except for Joe Piscopo. Well, I said essentially everybody. Plus also, I think Eddie Murphy was there at that point. Yeah, he was their golden child. No I see what you did intended. there. No, no, no pun intended. But he, he was the, the saving grace of SNL. Playing Sergeant Nuzo. Yes. Just say it, Greg. Terry Funk. I'm so happy. Because remember, we did talk about him in another Donald Barrosario joint because he was Carl Shiloh in the wrestling episode of Quantum Leap we covered about two years ago, which was a great episode of Quantum Leap. Oh, and we did talk about him in that one episode of Beyond Belief Factor Fiction, where he basically killed the guy who played Jesse Ventura in the Jesse Ventura story. And he wrestled a dead guy for 45 minutes and didn't realize he was dead. I can guarantee you what Dave Meltzer's rating for that match was. Match sucked. Didn't happen in the Tokyo Dome. Didn't involve Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks. Star and a half. Oh, not two stars. He only gave it a star and a half. Yeah, Dave only gave it a star and a half, I bet. Crowd really got tired around the 20-minute mark. When, like, you could notice, like, the guy's, when he crapped his pants after he died. Oh, jeez. Because, you know, that does happen right after you die. You lose control. Maybe not immediately after you die, but soon after. Yeah. We, we know, we know. And then, in lesser roles, as Detective Lee, we have W.K. Stratton, who is known mostly in a behind-the-scenes role nowadays. He worked on the Spy Kids universe, most notably Spy Kids for All the Time in the World, and Machete. That's right. Machete is related to the Spy Kids. But also, W.K. Stratton, gosh, how much mileage have we gotten out of this show in like the last month or so? He played Captain Larry Casey 
on 36 episodes of Black Sheep Squadron. Who knew Black Sheep Squadron would become such a fixture in this podcast? And it's a show we haven't covered yet. And remember, it lasted a fair bit. So, well, two seasons, season and a half. But also, I mean, we haven't even talked about the big star that came out of Black Sheep Squadron John Larroquette. Fielding? They made you a judge? I want to be your love slave. Take me back to jail. And then we have as Gina, the Puerto Rican psychic that lives next door, that hears the inner monologue of tequila, Liz Torres, another legendary lady. She's Speaking on- of John Larroquette, though, the John Larroquette show. How about that little tie-in? We just talked about John Larroquette, and here's his co-star from the John Larroquette show. And John Larroquette show is rerunning weekends on Rewind TV, so. And she was in 79 episodes of Gilmore Girls as Miss Patty. Oh, Gilmore Girls. She was a semi-regular on Break the Bank in 1976. So we've talked about her. She's by no means uh, a nobody. And we talked about her in Tucker's Witch. And in perhaps one of her first big roles playing young Teresa Garcia, the daughter of Angela, Troy and Belisario, Donald Belisario's daughter. Of course, she of the Pretty Little Liars on Freeform. So what kind of madcap mayhem would follow Tequila and Benetti? Now, take into account Life isn't that darn easy for Benetti because he's a proud New Yorker, a proud Italian. He doesn't like Los Angeles. He doesn't like the ocean. He doesn't like the smog. He doesn't like the traffic. He doesn't like the earthquakes. He doesn't like anything about Los Angeles. But he's also nesting some remorse about the girl he accidentally shot. And... Things about California he just does not understand. Take all of that into account as we go over the many adventures of Tequila and Benetti, starting with Street Dogs. Tequila and Benetti are investigating the suicide of a wealthy, spoiled socialite. Tequila believes it's a murder made to look like a suicide and tries to find a way to point this out to Benetti. Episode 2. Teach your children. Tequila and Benetti much catch a demented street preacher turned serial rapist who's stalking the promenade. Stakes become even higher when he kidnaps Officer Garcia's little daughter. Oh, hell no. Oh, no. No. I'm not going to stand for this. We have a minor role here, but uh, somebody who has played that little girl from that thing, she was in episodes of 90210 and Star Trek TNG at the time, playing Teresa Noli Thornton. I only bring that up because Star Trek TNG. Okay. We actually have a decent career in this episode playing Violet Richardson, Rosalind Cash, who was... A stage actress, mostly, 
but nominated for an Emmy for her production of Go Tell It on the Mountain. But you would probably, if you like really bad movies, remember her as Lisa in 1971's The Omega Man, Sarah Jackson in 1974's Uptown Saturday Night, and John M. Dahl in 1984's The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. I've heard of that movie. I've never seen it. You're not missing much. You ever see uh, Peter Weller outside the RoboCop suit? No. It's, it's basically that. Oh, okay. Episode 3, The Rose Cadillac. Benetti's car gets stolen. This can't end well. His attempt to track the carjacker down takes Tequila and Benetti on quite a ride. Also, Benetti busts the beach magician and goes out on a date with Officer Garcia. Playing Link, one of the colorful characters that Tequila and Benetti meet, Tim Russ. From Star Trek Voyager. Tuvok. But also, remember, he's in the beginning of Star Trek Generations, because if you'll remember, he's on the crew of the Enterprise B, which is commanded by... Who commanded the Enterprise B at the beginning of Star Trek Generations, Chico? Riker? No. I haven't, I haven't Alan seen Ruck. Generations. Ah, see, I haven't seen Generations in 20 years, dude. Okay. A uh, second big name playing Big Marie, Lorraine Toussaint, who is still working as Aunt Bai in The Equalizer with Queen Latifah. But she was Almond Joy. Oh my God. She was Almond Joy in Hudson Hawk. Oh, great. And Yvonne V. Parker in Orange is the New Black. Again, oh. if we were to list everything she's been in, we'd but, be here forever. I know, but we mentioned Hudson Hawk, and you know that's great. Hudson Hawk is an awesome movie. And then there was somebody else I wanted to bring up, playing a man by the name of Frankie, an actor by the name of Lawrence H. Toffler. No! Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, is it is it that one? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Former contestant on Greed, physical trainer, and hosted season two of Finders Keepers. The syndicated run the of syndicated Finders. version. Yeah, it wasn't season two. It was the syndicated run with the big color forms. Oh God, I forgot about the color forms. Everybody forgot about the color forms. That was the main game, the color forms. How could you forget about the meat and potatoes of the game? It was the all meat, about the meat and potatoes was the was, house, yo. Everyone knows it was a house. And then that house would later get used for the freaking Gordon Ramsay show. <laughs> Next level show. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past. That will be in the favorite shows of 23. But I love how Chico put it in the format sheet next level chef but season two yes season two not season one fun fact larry toppler attended dwight inglewood high school in inglewood new jersey along with brooks shields and mira sorvino 
Hold on a second. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the episode 400 edition of Who Are Three People That Have Never Been In My Kitchen? Although, to be honest, Brooke Shields, if you would like to be in my kitchen. Good night, everybody. You can, no, 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 no. If you want to cook something in my kitchen, that's fine. I'd be curious to have like whatever dessert you'd bake in my kitchen. Let me ask you a question, Greg. Were you ever a contestant on Finders Keepers? No. So you've never been in Larry Toffler's kitchen then? Okay. I would have been five when his version of Finders Keepers aired. I would have been eight, so no way am I going to be a contestant on Finders Keepers. That theme song, though. Uh, that guy from that thing is in this episode playing a guy named Mr. Kojimoto, and apparently this is a recurring role on this show. Rodney Kageyama. He played various levels of Japanese man in Home Improvement, Family Matters, Murder, She Wrote, Quantum Leap, Married with Children, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and 227. And he was an aide in previous entry, Tales of the Gold Monkey. There, you have your Tales of the Gold Monkey quota for the week. Episode 4, Language of the Heart. Bonetti tries to convince a mentally challenged brother of a gangbanger to save his brother's life by helping him catch the <laughs> one responsible for a gang-related murder that started a gang war between his brother's gang and their rivals. Wait, wait, say that again. Say that first part again. Bonetti tries to convince a mentally challenged brother of a gangbanger to <laughs> <laughs> I think I should throw a disclaimer in here. The laughter you hear is Greg's reaction that does not reflect me or Chico. I'm just laughing at the description. I'm just saying. Now we have another uh, sort of recurring character played by Oliver Darrow, who's basically a B-movie guy. But I bring him up because his name in this show is Sam Spade. Not that one, the other one. But he was on an episode of Silk Stockings, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't the man meat of the day. I know, Mike, you're sad. No, I'm waiting to say this one actor because I know you guys are going to get a rise out of it, even though it does absolutely nothing for me. In this episode, we don't have a character name, sadly. But the person playing this unnamed character is Marty Schiff. And the only reason I mention his name, he played Boners on Going Places, a series that Greg and Chico really appreciate. And I find a blip on my radar. Don't bury the lead, Mike. He was heard Burford on Out of Control. I just like saying boners. Let's be honest. Out of control. Very underrated. Nobody talks about it. And to be honest, I know everyone, when they talk Dave Collier, wants to talk full house. But let's be honest. Real ones talk about out of control. Where do you think he got that stick from? Cut it out. I agree with you about out of control and her and Burford. But like I said, boners on going places because you guys love going places 
and I could not care any less. Now, if you're keeping score, that's two references to Alan Ruck in this episode. Can we work in a third? I don't think so, but we'll try. I'm going to try. Okay, as a gangbanger in an early role. <laughs> oh, God, gangbanger. That was his character's name. That's what I'm laughing Gang at. member. <laughs> Francois Chow, who would go on to be that martial artist from that thing. You want to talk about a movie that Greg and I will no doubt remember? He played the Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, Chica, you know who played Super Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze? Who played Super Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze? Kevin Nash. Shut your mouth. Yes! Big Sexy himself, Kevin Nash, was Super Shredder. You lying. No, it's true! By the way, he played three different characters in... 17 episodes total of Lost, which I didn't even think you could do. He played Dr. Pierre Chang, Dr. Edgar Hallowax, and Dr. Marvin Candle. Just for clarification, you're talking about the ABC series Lost, right? Right. Not the Lost Precinct. Not the Lost... (laughs) Callback to 398 last week. Oh, jeez. One of the best moments of all time, along with AI Seven Finger McLean Stevenson. Hold on a second, guys. Guys. Now, last week I made AI McLean Stevenson at Dunkin' Donuts, right? Oh, oh no. So <laughs> Did you come up with no, no, no? I had AI McLean Stevenson at Dunkin' Donuts wearing a Joe Klecko jersey. And so here's the image, guys. Do you want to describe this image? Where should we start? Should we start with the fact that on the jersey, the shoulders of the jersey have the number 22, but the front of the jersey has 11? I'm sorry, that's the first thing I noticed is the mismatching numbers. And then this bad mamma jamma over here looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Louis Anderson had a kid. <laughs> it's not a tumor. <laughs> it's not a tumor, is it up there? Oh. <laughs> oh Jesus. Oh, Christ almighty. Like uh, I said last week, all AI computers, they need the, the Dickens beating out of them with ball-peen hammers and magnets. We need to destroy all AI before our world becomes consumed by it. Plus also, end the friggin' writer's strike, please. We have a recurring character named Sherry, and she's played by Mia Cottett. She was in a lot of future entries, let's just say that. Episode 5, Tale of the Dragon. Tequila and Benetti are working on a tough case of a serial killer who's killing surfers with a sniper. They team up with the lady sidekick who can hear Tequila's thoughts but thinks it's her late husband talking to her. What? 
this is the first appearance of Liz Torres's Gina Garcia. I have to wonder if she's related to Mershka Hargitay's character, either by law or by biology. Episode 6. A perfect match. Tequila and Benetti are working on the case of a female serial killer who finds her victims through a video dating service. Both Benetti and Captain Midland Knight, as Captain Midnight. Oh, jeez. Did we mention that Captain Knight is about as devoted to his police work as he is to try to sell a screenplay in Hollywood? Because that's important. Uh, also, it's not Midland, it's Midian Knight. Oh, Midian Knight. So actually, that makes more sense when you say Captain Midian Knight as Captain Midnight. So they're basically joining up as uh, Bates. Playing the role of Heather is Canada's favorite Ohioan, Marnie McPhail. If you had the Disney Channel in the early to mid-1980s, you saw her as Annie Edison in Guilty Pleasure TV show, The Edison Twins. And as Nick's date, Dana Sparks, who was in Cover Up on CBS, and also later seasons of Falcon Crest, replacing Jamie Rose as her character. Yeah, because as we all know, Jamie Rose went on to Lady Blue and that. You know, that, yeah. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> And as a man by the name of Lloyd, we have Robert Clotworthy, who was, oh my gosh, he is the narrator in The Curse of Oak Island and Ancient Aliens. So he's basically History Channel's go-to narrator. Amazing. He was also the voice of Charlie in the 2019 version of Charlie's Angels. Oh, Greg, you're going to like this. Playing Nicole, Deborah Pratt. That's right, the wife of the time of Donald Belisario. And co-creator of Quantum Leap, I believe. Episode 7. Fetch this, pal! A bomber is terrorizing the city. Tequila must take the test that all dogs must pass to officially become police dogs. Benetti clashes with his ex-wife's jerk cop boyfriend. And Captain Knight tells the tragic story of his late pet dog. Oh. But hold on. Playing the canine unit leader in this episode. James Tolkien who you'd best know as Principal Strickland in the Back to the Future trilogy. Slacker! Speaking of people we've talked about before, playing Rod Derrick, a canine unit officer, John Calvin, who was in all 22 episodes of Tales of the Gold Monkey. John Calvin was Howie! In the Paul Lynn show. That's right! Episode 8. Wonder Dog. 
An ad agency wants Heroic Tequila to be the star of their commercials for a home security company. But Eddie helps Knight negotiate Tequila's contract, only to realize that the security firm may be tied to a string of deadly burglaries. One time for the 400th. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. Episode 9, Brooklyn and the Beast. Famous newsman Arturo Medina launches a crusade against Tequila and Benetti in his reports simply to gain more audience share. He's a bad man. Arturo Medina, played by legendary actor of stage and screen Tony Plana. He was Ignacio Suarez, Betty's dad, in all 85 episodes of Ugly Betty. Playing Frank Avalon, Dean Butler, Moondoggy from the New Gidget, if you remember that. It's the New Gidget, oh no. He was also Almanzo James Wilder in 65 episodes of Little House on the Prairie. Episode 10. And this is the last episode to air. Mama. Bonetti is shocked to learn that his mom, Rose, is going out on a date with Captain Knight. What? What? This also pushes her insanely jealous ex, Stefano, over the edge. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. Well, what a great note to go out on, at least on the air. Playing Mama Rose, Carol Lawrence. I know she's done the games from back in the day. But I also know that she is a recurring teacher on Saved by the Bell. Yes. Also in this episode, playing Big Eddie, Phil Fondacaro, noted little person actor. And playing Stefano, the jealous ex-husband of Rose Benetti, Al Ruscio. Sadly, no longer with us, but he was in Showgirls. And that's all I'll say about that. And in a role as a theater usher, speaking of people who are on Saved by the Bell, Jeremiah Burkett, who we will talk about in an episode of this podcast later on this year. Episode 11, this is one of the two episodes that did not air in the U.S., but did air abroad. Runts of the Litter. The criminal who used to own Tequila finds him and gets Tequila to team up with him again to commit crime. But Eddie must rescue his canine friend before he crosses the point of no return. And the final episode, Real Life. An action star joins Tequila and Benetti, who are investigating a gangland hit to do research for his next role of a hard-boiled cop, but gritty reality ain't no movie. The actor's name is Chad Rydell. He is played by John Dequino, who we talked about in previous entry, That's My Bush. Aside from that, he was the president, Richard Martinez and Corey in the house. And that's the show. Normally I would ask, what happened? But I read the reviews of this show. They were not kind. 
I've got the Entertainment Weekly review here. In a recent episode, Scalia's Benetti managed to combine poor taste with hostile sexism while explaining why he thought a dead woman hanging from an apartment ceiling wasn't the suicide everyone else thought she was. Beautiful women don't hang themselves, he said blithely. They take pills so they look good in the coffin. Yeah, he said that. Benetti and sometimes foolish actors hang themselves in bad shows. And they don't look good at all. The next time I want Talking Animal TV, I'll find the Mr. Ed rerun. That was Ken Tucker of Entertainment Weekly giving the show a D minus. Oh, what a shocker. Ken Tucker being pissy about a show he doesn't like. Ooh. But uh, Howard Rosenberg of the Los Angeles Times found the show was largely nitwitty, but almost watchable in watching some of these episodes i'm thinking to myself we have a gritty crop drama that doesn't know whether or not it wants to be funny is it a cop drama that wants to be funny or is it a cop comedy that wants to be serious who knows and who cares let's take a look at the schedule shall we oh yeah i really want to know what this was up against it was up against, oi, yeah, you're not beating these. Well, you might beat Baby Talk and Perfect Strangers. You're definitely going to beat whatever was on Fox at the time, but you are not beating Garth Brooks in his prime because that's what NBC was airing at 9 o'clock on Friday. This is Garth Brooks. Well, of course, it's Garth Brooks. The next week... Baby Talk and Perfect Strangers totally beat Tequila and Benetti. And it just kept going down from there. It just went off a cliff. America was like, no, we don't want to watch this show about a dog and his top partner. This got revived in Italy. What? Yes. They revived this. In Italy, in 2000. Did this last any longer than this? No, particular? no, no, it no, no, it did not. But they had Bonetti back in the remake with got, a new. Yeah. They got Jack Scalia back. Yes, they got Jack Scalia back. And he's with a new tequila. And they're solving crimes together. And everybody's Italian. Hey, we're in real Italy. Where all the real pizza is. Hey, I talk Italian, but people look at me funny because I'm an American. I'm a pesca dell'acqua. Hey. That's fish out of water in Italian, by the way. I did the research. Well, yeah, fish out of water. You know, I sure would like to have a fish out of water come out right now and... Wait a minute! Oh, wait a minute! Wait, that's the big man! That's the big man! That's the G-Man's theme music! What's the G-Man doing here? Hey everybody, it's me! It's the G-Man! I'm here for episode 400, guys! G-Man! It's so terrific that you're here to celebrate our 400th episode. 
Oh yeah, I had to uh, come on and celebrate, guys. I hear you're talking about tequila and Benetti. And, uh, I gotta be honest, guys. Uh, I, I gotta I have a confession to make. You thought we were actually gonna drink tequila for you? No! I got a confession to make. This show absolutely sucked. <laughs> I understand, G-Man. It's a show about a like, yeah, the dog. What he's supposed to? He, you hear his thoughts? He doesn't even talk. No, I feel ripped off. I haven't been that ripped off since the last episode about Salvage One. Yeah, what was up with that? It's like uh, they went up into space, and like they didn't go into space all the time. Yeah, I don't understand what the deal with that was, G-Man. But, um... Oh, hey, G-Man. Do you want to meet somebody? Hey, G-Man. It's, uh, it's me, Alan Thick. Ooh, Alan Thick. Ooh, I've been wanting to meet you for such a long time. Yeah, I mean... It, it, ooh, I heard that you ran the skate shop in Skater Day. Thomas yeah. Tattoo! Yeah. Oh, that's one sick ass tattoo we got there, G Man. All right, uh, guys, just hang out over in the corner. I don't want them hanging out with me, guys. Oh, no. <laughs> oh God, this Johnny, is, this is going Johnny. Is... If you don't want to hang out with them, just don't hang out with them. Fine. This is what making... the hell are you doing to my podcast? I I. Ay, 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 You know what? There was one person from the recurring cast that I have not seen in a long time. I was hoping he'd be here for episode 400. No, well. I know wherever you are, Whammy, but I wish you were here. We haven't seen you in forever. What if I said I took the Whammy to school with me and I made it my hall pass? Oh, okay. The kids need to understand... Uh, the greatness of the whammy. So wait, the whammy's now occupying your own. Wait a second. Hold on. Oh my god, he's in Chico's room. <gasps> Hello. Do you know me? You're a f- imposter. You're the imposter, the imposter. You're the fake. You're the fake. You're the fake. You're a phony. You're a big fat phony. When did this turn into a Spider-Man meme? Hold on. So we have the whammy, but we also have his Earth 2 doppelganger. Yeah, don't you see my mustache? (laughs) (laughs) But whammy, I haven't seen you in such a long time. What have you been doing? Oh, I've been moving house with Elizabeth Banks. You know, she's not helping me one bit. I'm not talking to you, fake Whammy. I'm talking to the real Whammy right here. <laughs> Just been sitting at Mike's desk at work being a whole pass. Okay. <laughs> well, you got to do something with the strike going on right now. Ain't that right? Nope. <laughs> I got nothing to promote, Greg. I've been a f- whole pass. And even if he did have something to promote, he's not 
legally allowed to promote it because and the strike people. And the- I can promote that I've been a whole pass for the last couple months. It's a living. I don't see Aunt Jillian anywhere, whammy. No, that's later on this month there, Greg. Oh, that's right. So what can we say? He's a cop. She's a cop. He's a police dog. They fight crime. And in 1992, it was a thing on TV. It was a thing on TV. I guess the entire world was just not ready for this. Don't tell that to Tom Hanks, though. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How can we end this landmark show? Well, hold on a second, guys. I got an idea of how I can end this. Guys, it's time for a special episode 400 rendition of eBay Price is Right. Play the music, everybody. Okay, guys, you'll remember maybe a couple months ago I got this. An autographed Star Trek cord of John Shuck. You bought it! Remember a couple months ago I bought this? Well, I've been looking on eBay for one for like about four or five months, and I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. So I did buy this. But guys, this is not what you're going to be bidding on. I was about oh, to say because the, I was about to say because the price tag is still on that. Yeah, thing. obviously. But instead, you're going to be bidding on this. Now, guys, remember last week we discussed somebody, and I said I wasn't going to say anything. Well, guys, I got also from that same Star Trek set this autograph card of. Robert Hooks from Star Trek 3. As a reminder, he's the admiral that said, hey, don't go to Genesis, Jim. No. It's a bad place, man. And Jim Kirk totally went to Genesis, and he got court-martialed later, and in Star Trek 4, he got demoted captain. But then they were like, you know what, Jim? You did such a great job saving us from the whale probe. We're going to promote you to a starship. And I bet John Shuck, who's told us that those regulations by Starfleet were outrageous, was like, that is some You know he said that. Alright, so what you're going to be bidding on is, you're going to be bidding on the buy it now price I paid for the Robert Hooks autograph card, plus the shipping and handling. So here's how it's going to work. The minimum bid's going to be $5. The maximum bid's going to be 25 so we're doing uh, Bill Cullen prices, right? Rules? No, okay. no, 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 no. You're just gonna you're just gonna have a set minimum price you're gonna bid on, and a set maximum price. Just one bid. Okay. So, Mike, anywhere between five and twenty five dollars. Eleven ninety five. Eleven ninety five, Chico. I know you hate money, so I'm going to go with sixteen dollars. Eleven ninety nine. For Mike, $11.95. Six, $11.95 for Mike, $16. Okay. I paid $9. The shipping and handling, 
$5.05 for a total of $14.05. Mike wins. Now, I'm curious. How much did you pay for the John Shuck? Uh, I paid about maybe $12.99 for this. For the Shuck? Yeah. I, I don't remember. see him going for about $15 to $20 on eBay. That's yeah. not bad. No. But I'm going to, like, try to collect, like, a whole bunch of sets of people we've talked about on this podcast. So this is two of them. So I'm going to try to collect, like, sets of these. I know there's some Charlie Brill autograph cards from when he was in the Troubled Tribbles and the Deep Space Nine sequel episode. Well, Greg, I do the same. Uh, I've been doing that uh, for the last uh, year or so, trying to get autographs of people that we've talked about on the show. And remember, the first eBay Price is Right item that one of us purchased was the Bob Golick and his brother, Mike Golick, on that gold standard card from like two years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, I don't know if we talked about all these people, but I have these actually up here in my office in my personal collection, never to be sold or traded or anything like that. Just real fast. And I think we've seen some of these on the show over the course of a couple of years. Orson Bean? Yeah. That's Twilight Zone. Yeah, fortunately. And that one was only like about $11 purchase. And that was on card. That wasn't a sticker. Fred Willard? Yeah. Oh, that one's not leaving my collection. Fred Willard is a legend. Oh, yeah. I think we talked about this guy, but you know how much I love Naked Guns, so this is not leaving my collection. Oh. Leslie Nielsen? Oh, that's right. Yeah, the green ink. The green ink from uh, uh, 2011 after he died. Yeah. And I... th- this one I just got, I want to say about six months ago. Uh, yeah, it must have been like the week after the reboot of Night Court started because we all know how much I love OG Night Court. Richard Mall. Yeah. And actually, from one of the, I think the same Star Trek set that you mentioned earlier, John Larroquette actually has a card in that. Yeah, because remember, it's real expensive. It's like $75. Oh, yeah. But remember, he was Maltz in Star Trek 3. And, Pico, let's remember, he did not deserve to live. But Kirk was like, yeah, I'll kill you later. But he didn't because he lied. Because he's Jim Kirk. And that's what he does. Yeah. But guys, I got one more thing before we close this out. You're not going to believe this. I had ChatGPT write a sea shanty about us reaching 400 episodes. Now, I'm not making this up. It actually did make a sea shanty. So I'm going to read the sea shanty for you. Okay. Verse one. Gather round, ye listeners, true and bold, a tale of podcasts, a story to be told. It was a thing on TV, a journey so grand, reaching 400 episodes across the land. Chorus. Oh, it was a thing on TV, a podcast so bright, 400 episodes with a marvelous sight. From obscure shows to pop culture delight, they've sailed through it all with all their might. Verse two, in the world of TV oddities and more, they've explored the forgotten, the bizarre galore with Hubert insight. They've sailed the waves through nostalgic waters like daring buccaneers brave. Repeat chorus. Verse three, from retro game shows to commercials of old, they've shared tales untold with stories to unfold with hosts so charismatic and laughter in the air. They've created a community that's beyond compare. 
Repeat chorus. Verse four. Through years of recording, they've kept the ship afloat, sailing through topics that many thought remote. As they hit this milestone, 400 strong, their legacy of entertainment for will forever belong. Repeat chorus. Outro. So let's raise a cheer to this podcast glory. 400 episodes. What a remarkable story. It was a thing on TV, an adventure so true. Here's to the hosts and their loyal crew. I'm getting a little tear in my eye. That was pretty amazing. That is about as good a dedication as I think I've ever heard. And you know what? We have to give it up to the loyal crew. And by the loyal crew, I, of course, mean you guys who have been listening through all 400 of these episodes. I mean, I said it before, I'll say it again. Without you guys, we are nothing. We're just three guys looking at each other through a Zoom camera talking about television. I'm just amazed anyone would listen to this. Oh, people are going to listen to it. I'll tell you that. I'm not going to say why, but sometime, probably in the next two months, you're going to hear about our podcast nationally. Nationally, big time. Oh. I cannot say anything. I don't want to get in any sort of legal problems, but I will definitely, A, Give you guys a heads up when I can legally say something about it, including where to watch. But also, B, when this airs, I'm going to try to put audio into the first episode after this national buzz or national promotion, because I'm hoping we're going to get a little influx of listeners. We're going to sort of kind of hit the big time Probably, I'm expecting in late September, I think. I don't have any dates right now, but again, once I can legally share it, I'll share it with you guys, and you guys can watch that day, and and it'll be just absolutely amazing. Okay. I believe in you, man. I mean, we've been friends for a long time. I know when... You don't have to believe in me. Trust me. Like I said, this just happened this past week. I know Greg knows about it. I know Chico knows about it, but I really want to keep it in the circle of friends until I have like the okay to say, Hey, this is going to happen on this on such and such a day, but we're definitely a going to have like a lot of promotion, but also be a semi famous celebrity got interested in our podcast. Again, Gonna hold off on that for probably about two months. Okay. Stay tuned. There's gonna be stories. Well, it's been a great 400 episodes. So you can always go back to our website. It was a thing on TV.com where you can listen to all the 399 episodes that preceded this. You can listen to all sorts of the bonuses we got, live shows, instant reactions, director's cuts, remasters of past episodes, all sorts of great stuff. And also remember, we're on various social media platforms at It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook, where we're at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And don't forget, we are on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell to stay up to date on future uploads. And for next week, well, guys, do you remember a couple of years ago when we covered the gobbledygooker and it was hilarious? Oh, it was epic. Well, 
Imagine the gobbledygooker combined with Shaxx and a fool. Yeah. I'm sorry, what dog here? Yeah. Okay. And it's the most epic, hilarious blooper in the history of professional wrestling. And it's the 30th anniversary of it. So we're going to honor it next week. But also, we're going back to school. I went back to school. uh, Rather, I should say my students went back to school. They just started on Monday. So I'm already a week into the school year. And around the country, maybe you started your school year in the last week or two, or maybe you're a week or two or three away from school starting. But we're going to do back to school. And we're going to talk about a reality show where roles were reversed. And also, for the first time since, uh, I believe, episode four, episode three. Episode four. We will have a special guest. Yes, somebody besides myself and Chico and Greg will be here to talk about his experiences on that program. Yes, we actually have a quasi-celebrity joining us next week. And also, before all of that, we have a live watch because Susan St. James, patron saintess of this podcast, celebrating a birthday, and Greg and I are going to watch a birthday girl's movie. Now, yeah. She's not in the movie. No, but Richard Mall's in the movie. But Richard Mall is in the movie. Yes. And I've got to be honest, I watched like maybe three minutes of it before we started taping this episode, I said to myself, what the Oh, geez, I need to get the sensor button out for that. If Greg says all of that, you could be assured of at least B-plus grade material Oh yeah, in the live watch. So, stay tuned for the live watch. Stay tuned for... Next week's episodes, including that special one on Thursday with our special guest. <laughs> and all of that is coming in the weeks to come right here on It Was a Thing on TV. For Greg, for Mike, for the whammy, for the fake whammy, thank you ever so much for listening to us. These past 400 episodes, let's do another 400, all right? Wow! I'm a fool from a troll, the best of the breed. Tequila's my name, and you can follow my lead. I eat burritos for breakfast, bad guys for lunch. But Eddie's my partner, you can take a punch. I don't like crooks, and I hate leeches. I love penthouse pets and red-hot beaches. One's dirty, the other hairy. It's exciting sometimes. They're Tequila and Benetti premieres Friday. Nuova Citroen ZX Black, la station wagon compatta presenta Martedì su Italia 1, doppio appuntamento con la coppia di sbirri più simpatica della TV Scommetto che Tequila è più bravo di tutti i suoi cari Tu sei troppo fiducioso, poi te ne pedi Entrambe le vittime erano clienti della stessa agenzia video appuntamenti Sono Nico Bonetti, vengo da Brooklyn Mi chiamo Tequila, mettetevi in fila Quando mi vedrai? Eh? Voglio che tu faccia finta che io sia un ladro E mi attacchi Ma quanto è scemo sto poliziotto Tequila e Bonetti Martedì alle 20.30 su Italia 1 È il cane più brutto che abbia mai visto 
Eh, a parlare a Lendelop. <ride> 